Welcome back to the Yak Podcast. We're excited to have you back with us. We're starting our series on apologetics this week. Uh, This will probably take up uh, the remainder of our spring, and we look forward to diving into some heady issues with you all uh, and training kids on how to defend the faith. This cold is killing me, so I apologize. Speaking of apologizing. Apologetics. What does apologetics mean? Apologetics. Yes. An area. Not you. Yes. How to defend the faith. How to defend the faith. Uh, Apology is this idea of defense. Um, We see this idea begin in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If you've seen the um, apologetics banner on the website, um, it's called Apologetics. And the subtitle is Navigate the Waters. It's a pirate ship. Navigate the Waters, Fire the Cannons. Um, And I think this is what a lot of it is, is. We're called to demolish strongholds. Demolish false ideas. Help people think. I apologize if I go on a lot of tangents, but I am really trying to like shotgun this in regards to hitting a lot of things. As we dive into apologetics, you're going to be learning some things that some of you will think, I can tell to my friend about this and show him he's wrong about not believing in Jesus. As apologists, we must learn to be gentle. The last and least attractive thing is a know-it-all. Apologetics should be used to help people put a stone in their shoe, to think about an issue, and to help people think rightly. It should not be a bat that we use to beat people over the head with. Okay? So let me get it. Apologia, Latin for clearing the way for some line of reasoning. It is used when referring to defense. And the goal of the apologist is to explain the reasoning behind Christianity to the unsaved in order to clear the path to the cross. Okay? What apologetics is not, what it is not, negative. It is not evangelism. It is not evangelism. To not prove Christianity. When I say proof or prove, I'm talking about the scientific term for proof. Okay? When we say this word, am I I spelled wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just prof. Prof. (laughs) 
It's double O. It's double O. It's double O. Thank you. I'm like, I know it's double something. <laughs> Proof. Let me give this, let me make this clear. Okay, let me see this. There are only a few things you can prove. There are only a few things you can prove with absolute certainty. One is mathematical principles. We can prove those with absolute certainty. Two times two will always equal four. Okay? Mathematical principles we can prove with absolute certainty. Innate ideas. These are things that are... Um, what is the term? They prove themselves. The laws of logic would be an innate idea. Okay? You cannot disprove the laws of logic. Because the only time you try to do that, you actually have to use logic. It's an innate idea. It's foundational. Okay? Empirical facts. Those are things that are proofs. Little, small facts. Okay? Those are things we prove. Okay? When I say empirical, what does that mean? Sixth and seventh graders. Okay, throw up the word symbol. If you don't know it, you're going to get lost really quick. Empirical has to do with the five senses. Sight, sound, taste, see. Empirical. So empirical facts we can prove. Okay? And we're going to cover more of these ideas below. Those are very small things that we can prove with absolute certainty. Okay? But if you're in a court of law... Do you have to prove something with absolute certainty? No. You do not have to prove something with absolute certainty. That would be near impossible. There would be no convictions. Okay? It has nothing to do with absolute certainty. It has to do with beyond the shadow of a doubt. There's a difference between that and absolute certainty. Okay? I look like my dad. Okay? We could get a genetic test to see if I'm his son. Okay? I have pictures where he is holding me as a baby in the hospital. He has a birth certificate. He has all these things. Can he prove that he's my father 100%? No. Because everything, every one of those things can be fake. DNA tests can be fake. What? Yeah. Okay? All those things can be faked. Okay? So is there a shadow of the I don't even think there's a shadow of doubt that he's not my dad. You never see my point? It's beyond a shadow of a doubt. Okay? He even just standing next to him. Okay? They're like, you should be able to prove that he's my father. And I would say that, yeah, he's my dad. But I can't prove that 100%. Does that mean it's false? Does that mean you shouldn't believe it? Okay? And I'm going to get into this idea early because just because something is improved does not mean it's false. Or that you should live under the pretension that is false. I should not... I should... Not even yearly have mental conversations where I'm like, I wonder if he's my dad or not. That'd be silly. I should live under the pretension every Christmas when I give him a gift and I say to dad, I should live under that pretension. 
even though I can't prove it. Okay? So you need to understand that concept as we move into this. So when we say it can't prove Christianity, does that mean that we should not follow it because we can't prove it 100% certainty? Scientifically. Yeah. Okay? Does that mean you shouldn't live that way regularly? Well, I believe Christianity can be true, but I, there's a chance, so I can get away with everything. No, of course not. Okay, does this make sense when it comes to proof? This shouldn't create doubt about our faith, so this should just be real about where we stand. Okay? I, and this is the difference. There's a difference between scientific proof and what I would call um, revelation proof. I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that Jesus Christ is a real person. And to me, that's the 100% proof that I need. Is that scientific proof? No. But I truly believe the Holy Spirit resides in me and that it's real. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that's all the proof I need at the end of the day. But this will help somebody who does not have that begin to see and break down barriers. So again, it's not evangelism. It will begin to break down barriers towards Christianity. Okay? Are we following? Do you have any questions at this point? Okay? I'm trying to go really slow and really piecemeal, so I apologize. It is not debate training. It is not debate training. Although debating and answering questions will be called upon as application in apologetics, it is not debate training. It's not going to help you with emotional issues. Many emotional issues that you're going to come across with unbelievers are what are, are, what are keeping people from knowing Jesus. If you've had a bad experience in the church or went through something morally awful, if you're still in pain, apologetics won't really help. It can help, though. I have a story of a former student um, who revealed early on in our apologetics class um, that she was uh, sexually abused as a middle schooler. And that had awful ramifications for her in regards to the church in regards to, does there a, is there a God exists that loves me? And she, I, I, I'm still friends with her on Facebook, she's awesome. She made that very clear. She's like, I know this is a head issue, but I have heart issues that I'm having to work through. And down the, down the road, she said that because she was able to work through the problem of evil in her head, it was able to handle some emotional issues. So they do tie together but just not directly. My story is a very similar one. When I lost my cousin Owen um, in sixth grade, I went through a very strong period of doubt and anger and a God I didn't believe in at that point. And it was an awesome youth pastor sitting me down, explaining to me the cosmological argument for the existence of God, which left me going, junk, I have to deal with this. And then explaining to me why evil exists 
to where I could move past the emotional issues and deal with the emotional issues and engage with the gospel. So this stuff happens all the time. Your youth director is a living example of it. Okay, apologetics does work. So what is apologetics? Pre and or post evangelism. The beauty of the gospel is that the gospel is, as Spurgeon said, the Bible's a lion. You don't got to defend it. Most of the time you can let it loose. And people will come to know Jesus even with emotional issues and um, intellectual issues that they're still working through. Awesome. So for them, it's going to be a lot of post-evangelism work. They're already a believer, but they're just trying to work through things. My story and many other stories is it is pre-evangelism. I had heard the gospel tons of times growing up, but because I was mad at a God I didn't believe in, I wasn't willing to hear the gospel in my evangelism and in, in people's evangelism towards me. So it was pre-evangelism for me and pre-evangelism for a lot of people. Okay? Does that make sense? So that's some things that it is. If you have questions, raise your hand. Um, the goal it is to justify and defend Christianity Um, so that's my Christianity every time I do a cross that's not a plus sign it's a high T sure we'll figure it out understand this history is not something you can prove History is not something you can prove. Scientific method happens in this space. History is not something you can ever prove. You technically cannot prove the last five minutes of your existence, if you think about it. We could have been created two minutes ago with histories of lives and a past ingrained into our conscience. It's possible. You shouldn't believe it. Because something's possible. What is possible, right? You can't prove the last five minutes of your existence. Hey? Go home with that in your head tonight. Okay? There is always something logically possible that can can deny history. I kind of went through that example with my dad. Okay? There's always a possible denial. But understand this. A denial is not an argument. Okay? When we get to the history of Jesus... People are going to say all the time, well, Jesus could have done this. Great. You know, whatever. That doesn't mean anything. Just because you're denying something doesn't make it an argument. Okay? Well, Jesus didn't exist. That's a denial, not an argument. My son who's three makes denials all the time. You need to go to the bathroom. No. Can you give me an argument? No. I don't need to go potty. No. I walk him over to the potty. What does he do? He pees. A denial does not constitute an argument. And you get this all the time. With, especially your age, atheists. Because they've just read some things on YouTube or Wikipedia and they think they are, you know, philosophical wizards. You also get this in untrained Christians, which is terrifying. Jesus didn't do that. What do you mean Jesus didn't do that? God didn't do that. Well, he just did. 
Do show worth. You just did. It's denied. No. It's a bad argument. Okay? I'm going to set a timer because I can go all night. Okay? If giving the chance to choose between a certain event being logically probable or that it simply comes down to the denial of the event, one must side with the logically probable. Does that make sense? So again, going back to the example with my dad. Someone can be like, well, that DNA is fake. We can't trust it. That doctor's a liar. Or I look at the logical probability of everything else. What do you side with? Logical probability. I know I'm going through simple things, but this is going to be major implications later on. Okay? If one does not side with the logically probable concerning a particular event, then that person is unreasonable, if not absurd. There are certain things in history that to deny makes you unreasonable and therefore absurd. And you cannot argue with the absurd. Okay? You have to write that down. You cannot argue. Argue with the absurd. Let me give an example of this. Bart Ehrman, he's a famous atheist, was uh, last year, maybe two years ago at this point, man, time is flying. He was on the uh, uh, Internet Infidels um, podcast, which is another famous atheist. And the infidel is a believer that Jesus Christ never existed. Jesus Christ never existed. This is what's called a denial, which is what we've just been talking about. It's a denial. Okay? He just never existed. And Bart Ehrman, even being an atheist himself, is like, you're a fool. Stop it. You're denying all the facts. Give me one document, one shred of evidence that he did not exist. He just didn't exist. No, 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 are you not listening? You're playing, you're playing baseball with a soccer ball. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. And you're gonna come across people in the world, especially when it comes to Christianity, who will make claims that are just denials, but they're absurd denials. When you hear that Jesus Christ never existed, it's an absurdity. There are more non-Christian resources that wrote that Jesus Christ existed than Julius Augustus at the time of Jesus' birth. Not birth, death. The Caesars in the area had less historical sources citing their existence than Jesus did. Denial. Denial. It's absurd. If and when you come across these people, just walk away. There's no point. There's no... I'm going to pray for you. You should really look at the evidence. But there's no point in playing baseball with a soccer ball. Okay? The soccer ball doesn't fit in the glove. It just doesn't. It's, it's absurd. And it infuriates me and makes me mad. Okay? Okay. 
Our goal is to show the challenger that the basic truths of Christianity are possible and most importantly probable, therefore making their denial an absurdity. You cannot prove Christianity the way you prove mathematics. So at the end of this class, I cannot lay out to you 100% assurance of Christianity's accuracy. I can't, because that's not the role of history. The Holy Spirit can work on that in you, but history and science cannot. But I believe I can bring it to the point that to suggest otherwise in the terms of history and science would be absurd. Or a denial. Lastly, remember that no matter how convincing your arguments are, there must always be room for faith. Okay? I know tons of people that know all the arguments, but they don't live the Christian life, nor do they want to. And the Bible speaks directly that those people would exist. Okay? So, let me give you three major reasons, three major, major reasons for studying apologetics. Defend the faith. Fire the cannons. If you're an American, more than likely your parents have sheltered you from subjects that are anti-Christian. This is not a bad thing. Your parents are doing a good thing. This is, of course, this in this course, we will engage in anti-Christian ideas and philosophies, and you will be taught to combat them. Two. These attacks, no, not two in there, but sorry. Defend the Christian faith. These attacks will typically come from three different groups. First one is an atheist group. Most of them are ornery. They talk really loud while chewing gum, which is, gosh, talk about a headache, okay? You can't help some people. Um, But a lot, the majority of atheists, especially your age that I get in conversation with, even though I made a point to be like super chill, turns into a shouting. They're shouting two minutes in. Why are you getting mad? So a lot of them are going to be ornery. Sorry. Um, this is a statement by atheist Bertrand Russell. He was a philosopher, um, 50s, 60s, and 70s, I believe. He says this I think all the great religions in the world, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and communism, are both untrue and harmful. A member of the New Atheist Movement, Christopher Hitchens, says in his book, God is Not Great, that organized religion is the main source of hatred in the world, violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism, and bigotry, invested in ignorance and hostility to free inquiry, contemptuous of women, and coercive towards children, and that accordingly it ought to have a great deal on its conscience. The fact is, most most atheists that you interact with not only believe Christianity is false, but they also believe Christianity is harmful. The second group that you're going to defend the faith against are different religions. We'll cover some of these over the spring. They're just coming from a different perspective. The third one, and these are the most interesting ones, and those are seekers. These are, there are those who are simply seeking truth and may have questions about Christianity. Unfortunately, they're few and far between in a narcissistic culture, which tells you that you build your own truth. But they do exist. 
They're awesome. When it's a gold mine, invite them to church when you find them. Okay? To protect and develop your faith. When this, uh, when I originally wrote this course, um, the statistic was reported to be about 70 to 80% of Christian youth will leave the church and college. Um, I believe that statistic redone, I believe it's more like 60%, um, 60 to 70%, still bad, over half. Um, and that um, from that, another 20 to 20, 20-30% will eventually come back in their late 20s. Um, but that's um, more people are claiming to be atheists younger in life now. So there's more atheists in your age demographic than there is ever before. Um, so it's not that they're leaving in college, they're leaving in middle school and high school. Um, so again, I think that's why the statistic has more gone down, it's because they're leaving earlier. So it'll protect and develop your faith so you've dealt with these doubts beforehand. And know how to think about them. We live in an empirical culture. You have been raised in a time of history that devalues the miraculous and promotes personal identification of facts. I believe X because I believe X, and you can't tell me that I'm wrong about X unless you're a raging bigot. Apologetics help you see the world as it is and see Christ as the one who comes to save it. Lastly, Number three. The most important. The Bible tells us to. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book that tells you to get, move in, and learn about your faith. It's the sixth verse that they cut. Phoebeists. Some of you get that because you know what a phoebeus is. Others of you are just shaking your head. You'll get it eventually. Because God's words tells us to you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them reason for the hope that you have. Acts 17, 16, and 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. 2 Corinthians 10.5, I already said it. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 1.7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Boom, shakalaka. She gets you excited. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. Good. Where you get it there? I used to have cursive done much better when I was teaching regularly. Oh, <laughs> Apologetics. That is a good of. That's pretty good. I was excellent. I was excellent. 
You're the PCA. Hallelujah. A lot of churches are against intellectual activity in a body. They think faith is a synonym of ignorance. They think because most of the people who criticize Christianity are intellectuals, that it's wrong to be an intellectual. Dean Hardy, in um, his book, um, writes, It seems that Christians who neglect the intellect are throwing out the baby with the bathwater. If God gave us a mind to use, why shouldn't we use them to help show others the credibility of Christianity? In fact, it seems that if we are let our minds go to waste, we may be doing the opposite of what God wants us to do. Just as a muscle will atrophy if not exercised, a mind will be wasted if not applied. And the fact is, while you will be faced with atheism on one side, if you bring this out into the public arena, you will also be faced with this anti-intellectualism within many of your brothers and sisters in the church. J.P. Moreland and William Lake Craig and their philosophical foundations for a Christian worldview write, our churches are unfortunately overpopulated with people whose minds, as Christians, are going to waste. They may be spiritually regenerate, but their minds have not been converted. They still think like non-believers. Despite their Christian commitment, they remain largely empty selves. What is an empty self? An empty self is a person who is passive, sunset, busy, and hurried, and capable of developing an interior life. Such a person is inordinary, individualistic, infantile, and narcissistic. And we find that all over our churches. And we find it all over our publishing companies, too, but that's a story for another day. Next, challenges of apologetics is hopefully passion. If there is no passion for Jesus, action is non-existent. Scripture makes it clear that our passion for Christ is centered around our love for Him. And how can you love somebody if you know nothing about them? How can you love somebody if you know nothing about them? If you are not getting to know Jesus, Scripture, prayer, guess what you don't have? Passion. Hopefully, apologetics will help you in that. Thanks for listening to the Yak Podcast. I hope you enjoy our uh, series on apologetics. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.com.
www.thepeopleshow.org. I hope you'll join us again soon.